0: If you would pray with me, Uh, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. Uh, We thank you that as we think on uh, the way that you have revealed yourself to us uh, most clearly in Jesus as you've come to us, that we can see you for exactly who you are. We see your, (coughs) your divinity perfectly displayed in humanity. We thank you that you've done that for us. We pray that as we consider today what it looks like to follow you, uh, to love you, to trust you. I pray that you would uh, impress upon us afresh what it means to rest in you. That you alone are our rest. And so we thank you for that. I pray that uh, for each one here uh, who's maybe struggling uh, to rest, whether physically or emotionally or spiritually, uh, some combination of all those things, that they would leave here seeing clearly that they can rest in your finished work and what you've done for us. And so we thank you that we have this time together. We pray that as we open your word that you would be our teacher, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that you would show us exactly what you want us to see this morning and we'd leave here having seen you more fully. Uh, We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, a few years ago I was reading, I think it was 2010 when it started, but they, they came up with an initiative... Uh, In our public school systems to help try to make lunches healthier. Uh, And what they were trying to do, I mean, in big picture anyway, it seemed like a good idea. We want to eliminate some of the sugar that kids eat, or at least make it less. And then they said they wanted to have uh, fruits and vegetables be a regular part of their lunch. And so they started to do that. Sounds like a good idea. I mean, there's a lot of. A lot of research to say uh, uh, what we eat is really important to our learning and how we feel and everything that goes with that. And so a good thing. But uh, it's funny. Asher came home last week and said uh, he had gone through the lunch line and the lady was making him take uh, one fruit and one vegetable. And they were both things that he's very allergic to. And he said, but I'm allergic. And the lady said, no, no, no. You have to have your one fruit and your one vegetable. And he said, but cucumbers, I'm really allergic to cucumbers. And you're telling me I have to have a cucumber. And she said, no, no, not picking on the lunch lady, not her fault. She can't know all the allergies of every kid that comes to the line or any of those things. And I'm sure she probably hears some people say, I'm allergic to all kinds of things all the time. But in this case, he really is very allergic, and she was making him take these things that he couldn't eat, and then he's like, I take them, and then I just got to throw them away, and it's such a waste, and I can't eat these anyway. And so what started is a is a really good idea, right? We want kids to eat more fruits and vegetables and less sugar, and it's helpful, and all these things has become this really rigid rule, and if you don't do it, they're going to make you take it anyway, And as he came home and he was sharing that story with me just this past week as I was working on this sermon, he said, man, this sounds a lot like the religious leaders of Jesus today. They take the things that God says and what he tells us about what's best for us and the way that we're supposed to operate and the way we're supposed to live and work and the way those things go together, and they started to codify it into all of these rules and all these things and these hard edges, and this is the way it looks and it started to become a problem. In fact, it wasn't just a problem. It started to become detrimental. And the reason so is is it started to become detrimental because it was misrepresenting what God is like and who he is. Because they had made it all about these hard and fast rules and the way that you do these things and what they look like. And what we see and what we've been doing is walking through this series. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> That's not good when you got the microphone right there. Sorry about that. But as we've been walking through in this series and we're looking at the life of Jesus, uh, we're seeing what we said the very first week we started in this series, that Jesus is the Logos. He is the truth embodied. He is exactly what God is like in every way in humanity walking on earth. And what happens is he's going to come up against these religious leaders at different times that have all these rules and all these things and they think they're representing God and they're doing it exactly as what God wants and they're going to butt up against Jesus. Who is the truth? And there's some problems that come out of that. And we see these different controversies that begin to happen. And today, what we're going to look at kind of often gets referred to as Sabbath controversies. Arguments over the way in which we rest one day a week. The Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath holy that God had commanded. And they had grown up all these things around it. And Jesus is going to come and kind of push them on the way that they understand that. In fact, he's going to outright to say, you're wrong at different times. Uh, One of the common things that Jesus will say, or you'll see him in in the Gospels as you walk through, and he comes up against some of these teachings. He'll say, you uh, leave the commandments of God and hold, instead hold to the traditions of men. He says that in Mark chapter 7. And that kind of stands over what we're talking about today. They started to take these things and make them hard and fast rules, but oftentimes they were missing the very point of what God was after. And so today I want us to think about that a little bit as Jesus comes up against them in terms of this idea of the Sabbath, of resting, of taking a day of rest and why they were so off and what the problem was. And so the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at what Dan just read to us, those two different instances where Jesus kind of comes up against the religious leaders of the day and the way they're saying that we should observe the Sabbath. And he's going to correct them on both of it. But what I want us to think about when we start to think about this understanding and and as we think about this idea of resting in the Sabbath, I would just submit to you that one, we could look at it historically and how they were missing it and how Jesus corrects it. And we're going to do that. We're going to talk about that. But I would just encourage you to really think deeply about the hard issues that are underneath this, because what we see the religious leaders doing is what we often do a lot of the time. We busy ourselves with things to the point of exhaustion and we can't rest because we're missing the big picture of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so even though they were missing it and we could look at it purely from a historical aspect and what they were missing and what Jesus was saying, the truth is that there is a wonderful truth that our hearts need to hear as well. So don't check out and go, oh, well, yeah, they got it wrong and that's how Jesus corrected it. We need to hear this as well. But as we think about that and as we think about it fully, the things I want us to think about are first to this, just the background of what the Sabbath means and what God was doing and why he tells us to rest and how that got distorted, how they got to the point where they are here with Jesus. But then secondly, what Jesus is doing here to help them see it correctly. And then lastly, in light of what Jesus says, how do we live out of what Jesus is telling us today? And so that's the way I want us to look at it. Sabbath and how they got it wrong how Jesus corrects it, and then how do we live out of it today? And so let's start with just the purpose of the Sabbath. It was originally intended. And if we're going to start big picture and think about that, we need to go back to the very beginning. Because the very first time that we hear this idea uh, of God resting and and him telling us to keep a certain day holy for rest is in Genesis chapter 1. And so in Genesis chapter 1, God creates all things And he does all of it and he sets the world up and every bit of creation and he puts it together. And it says at the very end in Genesis one, it said, God saw that everything he made, he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work and all he had done in creation. And the first thing I want us to consider when we read that and when we think about that is, is that God rests at the end of his creative work. And the question could be, well, why? What is God doing there as he begins to rest? God is all powerful. He's completely self-sufficient. He has everything he needs. He's not exhausted from his work. He's not just like, oh, I can't do anymore. And so now I have to take a day off. That's not true. But what we see and the first thing I want you to notice is in the passage there in Genesis one that says that he saw that everything was very good and then he rested. And the first thing I want us to consider is that God rests because what he's made is very good and it's complete and it's as he designed it to be. And so he just stops and he rests. And I want you to think about that. I think, you know, that at least to some degree. Uh, If you've done something in your life or or you're working towards something and it comes out just how you thought it was going to be and you finish it and it's done and there's just a sense of like, ah, that's great, I can rest. I kind of feel that way sometimes when I mow my yard, right? I know that sounds ridiculous, but I like seeing things that are done and finished and you get the blower out and you blow the clippings away and it looks all nice and you're like, ah, now I can rest. It looks the way it should. I think part of what God's doing there at the beginning is he's resting in his very good creation. But there's also a secondary part of that is God rests. It says there that on the seventh day he rested and he made it holy because he rested from all his work. But he sets apart this day and he sets it as being this is a special day. It's set apart from the other days. That's what holy means to be set apart. And it's set apart from the other days to rest. But when you take that and you read it in the context of what he was doing, it almost sounds like a cruel joke at first. I want you to follow me on this, right? He just created Adam and Eve, the first people, and he sets up this beautiful world and all this potential and all these things. And then he says, I want you to go and fill it, subdue it, have dominion over it, take care of it. You get to do this. And then he says the very first day they wake up, the first day of their life. He says, now rest. you are like, wait, what? (laughs) He just told us to go subdue the earth and do these things and have dominion over it. And we get to do all this. And he says, but I want you to start from rest. And so they rest from the very beginning. And I think what God's doing is he sets apart that day. Is he saying to us and to them that I want you to rest in your identity and me, not what you do. That he creates us to love him and then love people to start that way, and so to begin from resting, to start from rest. And so even on the very first day, the first full day of their existence, they wake up and they're ready to go, and God says, rest. And that's a reminder for all of us to rest in our identity as being made in God's image, in his likeness, to glorify, to show what he is like, and so we begin from rest. Rest. But then there's a whole other layer as we start to think about why God tells us to rest. Uh, Two chapters later in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve will rebel against God. They will sin. They will ignore God and the world he created. And in doing so, they will seek to make themselves the center of all things. Uh, Paul says it this way in Romans 1. They exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship the creation rather than the creator. It's a good summary of what sin is. We make it about us and what we do in this created order over and above who God is and what he's done. And what happens when we do that is instead of keeping God as the center of all things, that he is central, resting in our identity in him, we seek to make our identity be in what we do. We exchange our identity from being who we are to what we do, our work, our busyness, what we accomplish Our family, our relationships, all these things are good things that God gives us. But then we seek to get our identity from them. And rather than resting in who we are and who we were created to be in God's image in him, we start to make it all these other things. And that leads to all sorts of problems. Chief of which or or one of the biggest ones is we then really struggle to rest. And I want you to think about why that is the case. Right? We're, we're now out of sorts with the relationship we were created for. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And we're now worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And we're seeking to be fulfilled in something that can't fulfill us. Was never designed to fulfill us. And so we busy ourselves. And when we busy ourselves with something that cannot do what we're hoping it does, guess what happens? It's exhausting. If you're seeking to get your identity by what you do, you will never be completely fulfilled. It will always be chasing after the next thing. It'll always be running. It's like the hamster on the wheel. You're just going to run and run and run and run and run. And that's what happens. And so God, because he's gracious and because he's kind, even in our sinfulness, he kind of gives us some guardrails, some helps along the way. And so in Exodus 20, he gives us the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, guardrails in the sense of in our sinfulness, we would go flying off the road and crash and burn. And God puts these guardrails up to kind of help us. And one of those guardrails is to keep the Sabbath day holy. To stop and rest once a week. To take time out of your schedule and stop what you're doing and just rest. And God gives that to us because he's gracious. And he wants to constrain our evil. In our sinfulness, we will buy in fully. That my identity is by what I do. And so God says, "Ah, no, it's not. And you need to stop. And so stopping and resting helps us remind us that everything doesn't fall apart if we're not busy. But God's still in control. That he still has all things. And so we struggle with that. But God in his grace gives us that. But then when we get to the distortion of Jesus day and what we're going to see in this passage as we start to look at it. It's the religious leaders of the day, God gives us that guardrail. take a day off, keep the Sabbath day holy, don't rest, and they start to add more and more rules. If you think about a guardrail on the side of the road, it's like the religious leaders of the day. There's the guardrail. God says, take a day off and rest. And then they're going to put another guardrail in front of it. And then another one. And then another one. So you don't ever get close to the guardrail that's there, right? And they just keep adding and adding and adding rules and regulations. Now, I think sometimes we're too hard on the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes, as it talks about in our text. They're just trying to help people. They're trying to put up some rules and regulations that helps us keep the things that God told us. But somewhere along the way, they got out of hand. And instead of resting in what God tells us and the way he tells us to do, it's like they made resting the way they got their identity. Right? I keep the Sabbath and I keep it perfectly and that's why I'm a good person. Do you see the problem in that? Suddenly you're exhausting yourself again because you're working so hard to rest in the right way. And it's a perpetual thing. That's the sinfulness of our heart. We want to believe that it's by what we do rather than who we are. And so we continue to do that. And that's exactly what happened in Jesus's day. This religious heart made these man made rules and they kept doing it. And they were so caught up in this. Now, you can hear all that and go, okay, great. What does that have to do with me? And I would just say to each one of us, and I need to hear this as much as anyone we have the same religious heart and we can do the same thing over and over. We can seek to get our being or our worth, our identity from what we do. And it's very easy to slide down that slippery slope and begin to believe that lie, that who I am is based on how well I perform or how good I am at my job or what car I drive or what house I live in or all these things that we start to try to put into categories. And when we do that, that is a constant battle that will never bring you rest. Uh, Perfect example of that. Uh, Perfect indicator, I think, kind of our heart and where it is in those ways is social media. If you think about it, so much of social media is showing what I'm doing and how well I'm doing it so that people can see that. And we put it out there of like, look at where I went and look at what vacation I took or look at where uh, my what my kids are doing or look at this or look at that. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But if that is how you're getting your worth, how many likes you get, how many people go, yeah, that's great. How many people tell you how good you are because of this or that? What you're seeking to do is get your identity from your doing. And that is an endless battle, right? You get a bunch of likes and everybody says, that's great. And then you wake up tomorrow and it's like, I need to post something else that everybody will like. Right. So that I can be okay with where I am and what I'm doing. And it becomes an endless battle. And so that religious spirit, that heart uh, of seeking To validate ourselves by what we do is not just something the Pharisees and the scribes were struggling with. It's the very heart of every single one of us in our sinfulness. We want to make our identity be by what we do rather than who we are created in God's image for his glory. And so we struggle with that and we struggle with that idea of resting or we make our resting based on how well performing, which is exactly what the religious leaders of the day were doing. They weren't resting anymore because they were so busy showing everyone how good they were at resting. So ridiculous, but you see that. And so with that said, that's just background as we think about this idea of resting in the Sabbath. Look at Luke with me. Chapter six and verse six. We'll start with that second episode first. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with a withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and he stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so and the hand was restored, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And this is what I want you to think about first in that story. I want you just to look at the religious leaders of the day and what they're doing and the way they're operating and the way that they're seeing all of this, right? God had given this rule of you take the Sabbath day and you keep it holy. You don't work on that day so that they would rest. But what it says here, the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Instead of resting, they're spending their Sabbath watching everything that Jesus does (coughs) to see if he's going to heal or he's not going to heal or if he's going to break their rules that they've come up with. And so what they're doing is they're exhausting themselves with looking for ways to compare themselves to Jesus. So that they can go, aha, we got him. And they're not resting at all. Right. They, they've taken the, the law that God's given and they've made it this thing to look down on other people. So much so that Jesus asked this question. Is it OK to heal this guy on the Sabbath to restore his hand? I, dumbfounded when you read this. That no one goes, wow, he healed the guy's hand. They don't even notice they're so busy comparing. They're so busy trying to keep their rules. They're so busy looking down on people that they've lost sight of the guy right in front of them. Uh, I'm reading between the lines, but it seems to me when Jesus says uh, in verse 10, after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. He asked the question, like, is it okay to heal this guy? And No one says anything. I can't help but think that Jesus was just broken hearted as he looked. Are you guys serious? He says, stretch out your hand and he heals the man in front of him. But then look at what it says. As he heals them, they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Have you ever been furious about something? Would you say that that's synonymous with resting? In my experience, no, right? When I'm really upset about something is about as far away from resting as I can get. And so you've got these guys scheming, trying to catch him, trying to point out his faults or what they perceive to be his faults. And then when he does what they don't think he should do, now they're furious. They're not resting at all. And we do the same thing when we make our identity and the people around us their identity by what they do and whether or not we're going to love them based on if they meet some rules that we've come up with. And we struggle with that. And that's made its way into all these things. And Jesus is coming against this over and over. So how does he correct it? What does he do here? What does he say? Go back to verse one of chapter six. Look at this other instance on the Sabbath. Right. And so Luke puts these two together, kind of these Sabbath controversies where Jesus is coming up against the way they see it. While he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Right. So get the picture of what they're doing. They're walking from one place to the next through a field of grain and they're plucking the pieces out. And they're going like this in their hands and then they're eating the grain. Right. And this makes them really mad because this is working. Right. They're working. They're harvesting. And what you've got to know about the background here is what they had done at the, at the time, the religious leaders of the day. They'd taken this law that God had, keep the Sabbath day holy, and they'd added all these other rules, all these other things, like you're not allowed to harvest. Well, your disciples are now harvesting because they're rubbing that grain together in their hands. It'd be kind of like saying uh, you can't work today uh, and you leave here and you go to lunch at uh, Five Guys and you start to crack open the peanuts while you're waiting. Oh, you're working now. You're harvesting, you've you've violated the Sabbath, right? That's basically what they're saying, right? And so they're watching Jesus and they see this and they say, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Just a side note, they're not actually breaking the Sabbath, they're breaking the rules that they've come up with to help people keep the Sabbath. You see the difference? Jesus and his disciples weren't breaking what the Bible actually says, they were breaking what they had come up with and added to it. Have you not? So Jesus answered them. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, he entered into the house of God and he took and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. <clears throat> and he gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the son of the man, son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, son of man is the term that Jesus uses for himself. So he's talking about himself there. And he tells them this story. They're upset. And he says, hey, well, you know, that passage and uh, he's talking about 1 Samuel 21. He said, do you know what David did when he was hungry? And if you go read 1 Samuel 21, he goes into the uh, the temple and he asks for um, <clears throat> the bread of presents that they used in the worship. He and his guys are hungry and they've been going a long day and they go in and they ask for it. And the priest says, OK, and he gives it to him. It was supposed to be just for the priest to eat it was part of the Sabbath worship. They weren't supposed to take of that. But in a pinch, in this moment, they're really hungry and the priest says, OK. And so Jesus points them to that. And he says, do you know what happened when David went and he's retelling this story from the Bible, from the scriptures? And he's trying to get them to think. He's trying to get them outside of their rigid rules and the things that they've come up with. And he's trying to get them to, to engage with what he's talking about. And what he tells them is in that moment, at that time, the priest set aside the ceremonial law. To help feed David and the guys with him. And Jesus seems to say that's okay. Have you heard what David did? And he doesn't talk about God condemning it. He doesn't say anything about it. And he seems to be saying that that's okay in that moment that the ceremonial law was set aside for a moment. Now, side note, Jesus never does this with the moral law. He never talks about things that God gave us as the moral law and setting that aside. But there's something different here that Jesus is pointing to. The next thing he says, that he said to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And I think Jesus is making a connection here. Is that priest made the decision in that moment as these people were hungry that I'm going to set aside the ceremonial law and I'm going to allow them to take that. So, too, I am now here and I can set aside the ceremonial law because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And I want you to make the connection of what he's talking about. I don't think they would have seen it completely in that moment. We talked about this a few weeks ago, how there's the audience there. There's the audience that the author is writing to. And then there's us today. There's kind of three levels. The audience there doesn't make this connection, but I think Luke does as he's writing. That when Jesus comes, he makes the entire ceremonial law obsolete. The way that we worship as we go through the temple and through the priest and we come to God in this way. But when Jesus comes, that all changes. He is the way that we come to God. We no longer approach God in this way, but it's now through Jesus. And so Jesus pronounces, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am over this. It is me that we're talking about now. And he says, it's okay for them to eat. Now, I don't even think they were breaking the law, if we get down to it. I don't think they were breaking what God says. But he's telling them, it's okay for them to eat, it's okay for them to do this. And I said, it's okay. And that's like a pretty huge thing. If you think about what he's saying, he's equating himself with God and he's saying he has the authority to do this and to tell them this, which is going to make him angry, which it does. We see that in the next one, too. And I think Luke's alerting us to that. But he says, I'm not bound by your rules. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And I want you to think about why that is, why Jesus makes uh, the ceremonial law obsolete, why he becomes the Lord of the Sabbath, why he becomes our rest see all of our struggles with identity with putting our doing over our being our performance over resting and who we are in God its the very heart is our sinfulness that we exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship the creation rather than the creator and so we struggle so we try to prove ourselves and as Jesus comes he comes and says all you who are heavy burdened come to me and I will give you rest He says, I'm going to do for you what you've not been able to do for yourself. I'm going to live perfect life that responds to God exactly as I'm supposed to in everything. I'm going to love God and love people perfectly in all things. And then Jesus says, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to come to the end of my life. And I'm going to willfully lay my life down for you. I'm going to take your sin upon myself. And I'm going to pay for it. And I'm going to give you the fruit of my work, my perfect work. And so Jesus does. And as he goes to the cross and he lays down his life and he bows his head and he says, it is finished. Your sin has been dealt with. His life has been done perfectly. You now can have the fruits of his life as he takes your sin. In God's eyes, you are made complete and whole because of the good work that Jesus has done and finished. And so now you can rest. Not based on your performance, but based on Jesus's what he has done, and nothing else. And he offers with us this perfect union with God. And in doing so, he gives us, restores our identity from being what we do in our performance to what he has done and already finished. And so we can rest. And then and only then can we rest. Because if we take Jesus and and what he says and what he does and we go, that's just our example. And now I'm going to follow him and do it the best that I can. And when I do it really well, then I'll rest. Guess what happens? You'll never rest. Because you never do it fully. And you're always going to struggle. But when you see that Jesus has already completed and finished it, you can now rest in who he is. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Who calls us to enter into his rest. By what he's done for us. And he restores our identity from our doing to our being created in God's image. Who are now beloved children of God that are united with the God, the father, through what his son has done for us. And so we can rest. And he's pointing them to these things. Now, they don't understand all that in the moment, but he's showing them I'm over all this. And so I want you just to think about that image that he gives us and then how we should see that today. Go back to verse 6 for just a second. As these guys are all missing the whole point, right? He enters the synagogue and he's teaching, and this guy is there, and they're so concerned with catching him, of having something to accuse him with. They're missing the whole picture. They're so ingrained with this idea that your doing gives you your identity rather than your being who you are made in God's image. That they're missing this guy standing right in front of them that's made in God's image with the withered hand. They're missing all of it. Because they're so busy seeing it the way that they want to see it. Comparing. They're furious. They're scheming. They're all these things that they're struggling with. And they're all missing the point. But Jesus comes and he's showing them that there's a freedom to love the people right in front of you when you're resting. And who he is and what he's done. He says, is it lawful to heal the guy? And he gets silence. And He says, yes. And he heals the man in front of him. And that image that he gives us there, that they're missing it. They're not resting because they're so busy making it about their doing rather than who Jesus is and what he's done. And I would just say to each one of you, that is us so often. So often we are so busy trying to justify ourselves by what we do and where we go, or the way we look, or the clothes we wear. Or the places we are, or the car we drive or any of those things that we can miss the opportunity to love people the way God's loved us right in front of us. But when we see our identity is secure in Jesus, you're actually free to love people. Rather than using them to validate you or make you feel better, you don't have to worry about what people think. And you get to just love them in the way that God's loved us. It opens your eyes to see the people that are around you. And so I want you just to consider today, where do you get your greatest dose of self-worth? What are you relying on day to day? What are the things that make you feel the best about yourself? And I'm just going to tell you, if it's anything other than Jesus Christ, you're going to have a really hard time ever resting. But the good news is that Jesus has come to me and I will give you rest. Lay all that down. Trust in me and me alone. That that is where your identity is found, because that is what you were made for. To rest in your identity that you are a beloved child of God. That yes, you're a sinner. That yes, you've rebelled. But because of what Jesus has done, you are welcome back and you can rest in that. And when we get that, the good news is God begins to conform you to his image. And we get to go do these other things, but we do it out of the fullness of resting in who we are in Jesus and his finished work and nothing else. And that's really good news. It leads us to actually be able to lay things down and rest in him. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the glorious good news that you are the Lord of the Sabbath. That we can rest in you and what you've done for us. I pray for each person here that's struggling to rest right now, whatever the reason may be seeking to get their, their worth or their identity or their validation from things other than your finished work. I pray that you would just reveal that. Uh, you tell us that through your spirit that you convict us of the areas we're not trusting in you. But then you immediately turn and point us to your finished work and what you've done. And so I pray that that would be true of every person here today. That they would leave here resting And that they are a beloved child of God that you love fully and completely. And it's all because of what Jesus has done and nothing else. We thank you. We pray all of it in Jesus name. Amen.